0: All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and I'm with my wonderful co-host, or co-host, or, or host, and I'm co-host, Victoria Whitaker. How are you doing, Victoria?
1: I'm good. We're just co-hosting hosting it up today.
0: Two hosts. No co's.
1: Hostess.
0: Well, we had a very That was a great interview, wasn't it?
1: Well, it was a great interview, Heather, had a lot of great things to share and her experience is really interesting
0: so she's funny you. smart yeah great stories her, her name is heather hood great name too hh uh she's the vice president and market leader uh, for northern california at enterprise community partners talked a lot about how affordable housing works how housing how it works out in the bay area her background how she got to where she is today um amazing person and uh hope we hear more from her and Years to come. Anything you want to say, Victoria? No. <laughs> well with that folks, as usual, please listen, rate, review, and share with your friends. Appreciate the help. Have a good one. Hi Heather. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Sure. If I um say something really ridiculous, can you just cut it out?
0: That's mm-hmm. half the fun. We're trying to catch him, catch him, say stupid things.
1: <laughs>
0: People catch me all the time.
2: Good. But not that hard.
1: That's <laughs> not funny,
0: Victoria.
2: <laughs> oh, well, apparently I say a lot of ums, ums, ums. Um, oh.
0: That's okay. Makes you human.
1: Yeah.
2: It's a conversation.
1: So it's not supposed to be perfect.
0: Good. And you're I'm not just it. the vice president and market leader of Northern California for enterprise community wow. partners, right? You're a human being.
2: That's what they, my kids are trying to remind me of all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are the vice president and market leader of Northern California, which is a big part of California uh, at enterprise community partners, which is a big company all across the country, big name in this space. Could you tell the world if they don't know already what enterprise community partners is please?
2: Sure. I would be glad to, um, you know, uh, It's a large organization that's having, we're having our 40th anniversary this year. Oh, wow. Um, We have a vision that we can live in a country where home and community are stepping stones to more. Mm And we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So that means we have a mission. And that is to make home and community places of pride, power, and belonging, and platforms for resilience and upward mobility for all. So we've got a big agenda. And to do that, we've got about 2,000 people in different parts of the country. So when it says I'm VP and market leader of um, Northern California, what that means is that there are about 25 people in my office and we're working on policy, capacity building, finance. And in the East, uh, folks are also working on owning and managing homes, but we're bringing all those kind of tools to get affordable housing um, secured and built Mm. Um, and so, so far in those forty years, we've invested about fifty-three million in a lot of different ways, mostly tax credits in the field. Um, so we provide the resources for developers to affordable housing developers to build and preserve affordable homes. We're not typically the ones doing the building. So right. that's that's our that's our jam.
0: That sounds easy.
2: It's very complicated, but I, <laughs> I, I have a love-hate relationship with this field. And um, the fun part is the puzzle, and the great thing is the people I get to work with every day.
0: That's awesome. So, let's say, well, where does that fifty-three million dollars come from?
2: Well, it's a very big mix. Um, uh, some of it is from philanthropy. Um, And that is typically the kind of resource that's used either for um, staff, operational stuff or for seed funding, structured loan funds. Those are funds that we create that are typically very, they're more patient and um, a lower expected um, return and terms for the borrower Um, and um, and then tax credits, I think, would be the biggest. Low-income housing tax credit is a particular interesting technique in the field that started in 1986, the year I graduated high school. So I didn't create it, um, but it is a really quite genius, non-partisan um, technique to provide resources for the for affordable yeah. housing.
0: So you are syndicating those to developers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And then the, the other, the remaining, and so is there. Do banks or like institutions have a portion of their capital they allocate towards something along these lines, where they're like don't need the re- the returns at such a high level? Like is that kind of where
1: their yes. revenue comes from? Okay, cool. Yeah, and
2: then the and then um, in addition, um, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, and in some cases contracts. Like my office has a couple contracts with the state of California where we're providing TA to them and or their partners. So it's a variety of places that we get our resources, but mostly we're just redeploying them at either in time, talent, or or finance tools.
0: So you're sourcing developers too. Is that like the big part? It's like so say I'm a developer of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. In uh and your your region, Northern California, where does, what does that entail?
2: So let's say you're in Oakland, California. Uh, you could be in Denver, Seattle, Minneapolis, um, lots of places, but you, you are looking for, um, uh, as one of your probably 15 to 20 some sources for affordable housing Mm -hmm. project, um, you're looking for sources to finance that. And let's say you need a um, acquisition loan. You found a great parcel that is maybe it's public land being sold by a transit agency and you want to acquire it. You come to us and you I come to lots of people and you compare and contrast the terms for, for acquisition loans. Um, and let's say you've settled on us. We provide, let's say a $5 million loan for the acquisition of a project or property. And, mm-hmm. a, um, and then later, perhaps you've also need tax credits, you come to us and you say you're looking for tax credits, let's think about that. You've also, like like you would getting a roof on your home, if you own your home, you would be comparing and contrasting bids. Um, in many cases, we have long-term partnerships with folks and so they're not comparing and contrasting, they just know that we're in it for the long haul and not going to rush out in what we call year 15. Mm, um, yeah. And um, that will be there to solve problems if something goes wrong. So we're not going to just dump somebody because of that. And so we're um, we're trusted, been in the field for a long time, and that's why people come to us.
0: But are, are you covering um, like your specific region? What is what is that?
2: The one that I'm responsible yeah, for. Yeah. Like
0: what what is that? Like what, where where do you draw the line? You back? know, North that's of... funny
2: you ask. We don't we don't actually have a line. You um, need a line. Brother- Yeah, I know. Well, so my Southern California counterpart, Jamar Wilson um, covers Southern California, and um, he doesn't really go much more north of Santa Barbara, and I don't typically go more south than the central coast around um, Santa Cruz Monterey, um, but it's not, there's not really a line because I simply serve all, whatever anybody perceives to be Northern California. At this point. <laughs> yeah. And we've got a couple programs that um, are with the state that are statewide. And so it, it's irrelevant where that line is.
1: Right. Awesome. And I actually worked at a similar firm. I worked at Low Income Investment Fund and uh-huh. I stumbled into um, that position. Um, just had someone who I worked on the program team and just had another employee who also done some early childhood work with me. How did you end up um, in your work? I saw that you were at San Francisco Foundation before. How did you end up at Enterprise?
2: Um, uh, I always wanted to be an architect. And, and then as it turned out after going to school for the first time for architecture, um, I realized that the architects were the last ones called after everything. Um, had been figured out, the policies, the print, you know, parameters of the project, the financing, all of it. And I thought, well, I don't like being in that position, and I also wasn't making enough money to pay back my loans, which at the time were a lot to me. That were, I think, they were one hundred and forty-seven dollars a month, and I just couldn't wow, do yeah. it on my architecture.
0: But you got to say um, you're an architect, which is pretty cool.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. So yeah. I didn't really because, oh, no. um, you know, in after a five year or any professional architecture degree You need to apprentice for a certain time and then pass a whole bunch of tests Mm. and i worked for a design build firm which kind of sort of counted and um then i was like okay love this this is a wonderful way to get to know how things really get done in the field um i was the young woman on the field with a 20 some big burly construction guys in a design (laughs) build firm and i was trying to get their attention you know, to follow the designs and, um, would bring them donuts. That became the trick.
0: Construction <laughs> um, um, guys love donuts.
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's very clear. All like, people
1: love donuts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just go to Dunkin' donuts, get some coffee and donuts. It's still a trick of mine. Um, but it's moved into like, you know, artisan bagels. Yeah, cookies. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um, you asked how did i get here i i don't want to go through the whole thing but it was a curly process and um but the initial idea was that i was focused on the building and it occurred to me um after being in the field a long time that i couldn't pay my rent i couldn't pay my bills couldn't pay my loan yeah. <laughs> so um why not go to grad school um if
1: <laughs> take on more loans <laughs>
2: um so i was very lucky to get to go from philadelphia to UC Berkeley, because um, I thought, okay, what I want to do is think about the people and the neighborhood scale.
1: Yeah.
2: So I started doing that in a one-year master's program. And I was like, okay, wait, but the city planning people down the hall, they get to really set the parameters. So I'm going to go do that too, if I can figure out how to pay for that. So I did it. i was super blessed to get to, ch- oh, it's fantastic. So that's what got me into the bigger scale. And, um, got to work at UC Berkeley doing research and teaching um, around what we now call equitable transit-oriented development, mm. which led to then working at the San Francisco Foundation, mm. which was a great place to work in a complicated initiative with 25 partners and 14 funders and really being in the circus of trying to get ETOD done in the Bay Area. And a wonderful group of partners, lots of... Um, Long debates about what is equity and all that, but we got lots of great plans done around particular transit stops, and for lots of affordable housing and community benefits. And lo and behold, it was becoming incredibly clear that it's not enough to have a city council or a regional entity pass important policies to let this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, "Damn, it takes money.
1: Yeah. You got to
2: know it. Show me the money."
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And I didn't know anything about money at the time other than personal how to count um, and philanthropic how to count, but we were talking in the tens of millions and billions that were needed to actualize these things. So um, that initiative, which was called the Great Communities Collaborative, um, had at that point a trusted relationship with our regional planning agency. they said, "Well, they have my, We have the problem, and they have the money. Mm-hmm. So, if they could get their goals their goals done by building more affordable housing near transit to get more people on the trains and the buses and the light rail, then let's mix our efforts." So, we created a an eighty million dollars fund called the Bay Area Transit Oriented Affordable Housing Fund, and we're off to the races to try to have these kind of low interest loans just for doing that kind of work. And, and in the process of doing that, working with the CDFI community development finance institutions like LIF and Enterprise and LISC and others, it was like, oh, that's how that big money works. <laughs> that's not that hard. I mean, it's hard. it's a pain, but it's not that much harder than making a complicated Thanksgiving dinner over time. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I could, I, I want to learn more about that. So I was very, very lucky to then see a job opening at Enterprise Community Partners and, uh, and get to come here 11 years ago. So, so I've been learning ever since how that big money really works.
0: The San Francisco Foundation is a, it's a policy, it makes policy?
2: The San Francisco Foundation is a community-based um, c- community foundation. Mm. So it's funded by mostly local people. It serves the five-county Bay Area, and now led by a classmate of mine, Fred Blackwell, and it um, redeploys those resources to nonprofits throughout the region. Um, And they don't set policy, but many community foundations have the capacity to do lobbying legally, and so they deploy their resources and do a a little bit of um, influencing for policy um, Mm. in that stead. Cool.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, It says here, I didn't read this article, but I wish I did, that you wrote an article called, uh, this article is a book called The Elephant in the Region, How Bay Bay Metro (laughs) Can Lead a Bold Regional Housing Agenda. Is that a
2: book? That is a little report. report. And I'm really proud of it.
0: It's a yeah, I love it. It says it led to the creation of the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority, which you, you were mentioning. Um, how did so I've been in the Bay Area since twenty eleven and January twenty eleven. And I live in San Carlos now. I used to live in Oakland we were talking about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We just had a. we have a train station here and not that long ago, uh Prometheus built a whole big complex down there. Um, around the train station. I'm not sure if there's any affordable units in it. In there or not but is that something that you were looking at like if say like prometheus wanted to build like a percentage of the units because um, they're a market rate builder right if they wanted to build i don't know what the requirements are but I'm sure there's some requirements for affordable stuff would you be involved in that in the financing with that
2: we'd no, we would not likely be involved in the financing of that unless um well when you say you do am <laughs> having a little conflation in my brain do you mean the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority, or do you mean enterprise? Either. <laughs> <laughs> well, enterprise, have a- enterprise. Okay. Well, you brought up Bafa, mm. which is our baby elephant. Um, the the cover of that report is this cute elephant. So we oh, think yeah. of it like our elephant. Um, let's back up for a second. Okay. So, um, so the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority was this idea that my colleague and our Deputy Director, Senior Director, um, Gita Rao, and I had. Mm-hmm. We had been um, working around in, in different roles at different times, been noticing that around the country, there are lots of... that Affordable housing is addressed at a regional scale rather than entrusted to be done just at a city scale. Mm-hmm. And there are places like... Even at a state scale in Massachusetts, um, which is basically the size of the barrier, the um, the um, finance is in New York. The finance is done at a regional scale. Sometimes public land is held at a, at a regional scale in Minneapolis. The a set of funders work across the twin cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul to help people be their best selves. Let's just say and creating convenings and resources to be deployed in a bunch of different ways to across sectors to get good stuff done. Um, in In Puget Sound, where Seattle um, and Tacoma are, that there's a lot of policymaking that influences how affordable housing gets done at a regional scale. And so why is it that across California and especially in the Bay Area, we have these cities who really don't, we have many cities that would like to get housing done and don't have money. Mm. or would like to have affordable housing done and have money Mm. and then a whole lot who don't want it Mm. and go about saying they're going to do it and basically are faking it and so um and we've got some laws that previously didn't um, have any sticks or carrots to make sure things got done and so instead of having the this sort of dynamic play out where some cities are creating affordable housing and many are not, which is exacerbating the fragmentation of choices for people who um, have lower incomes, but and and segregating our region even further. Mm. Um, we thought it would be more appropriate to have a regional housing authority with the finances in order to be deployed, so that we've got choices for people around the region, um, and put really build to a scale, get to a scale where the finance tools are meeting the need rather than these patchy um smaller bonds and smaller resources you know that represent will in each place Um, let's get some real dollars in place so our ambition is to have approximately 15 billion at the bay area housing finance authority and growing in a smart investment way like they do in new york over time and deployed from there so you asked would we be involved in the san carlos project Um, I would imagine if the developer Prometheus mm-hmm. had um, uh, included the the affordable units throughout the ent- entire project, probably not. Mm-hmm. But if, like what happens most times, there is um, a parcel set aside just for affordable housing that they develop or have a partner of an affordable housing developer yeah. do, then that developer. Would potentially come to us, whether it's enterprise or Bafa, and look for an acquisition loan or a um, or light tech or yeah even new market tax credits.
0: Awesome. So you had to yeah I mean we we work at, I work personally with a lot of and Victoria does as well. She used to work at a uh, affordable housing developer, so we're you know pretty familiar with tax credits and kind of how that works. Why would they, why would somebody go to different, is it just like getting a loan? Like if I was going to, I do, I more, you know, I shop around for different mortgage, like lenders for my my house for my mortgage is the same thing when you're affordable housing developer, you just, who's got better terms. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing.
2: It's the same thing, but then it's also, um, who has a good track record, who's been in it for a long time, so has that wisdom and kind of relationships with banks and other investors um, when there are problems to have that, um, the foundation of trust that's there because you're gonna have problems. There's gonna be a bunch of wrestling about who's in what position on the team. And so there's a kind of um, inclination for folks to, some people want just whatever is the best deal. Mm. I'm trying to think of an analogy and, I, and I, I'm thinking of cars, buying cars, but I want to find a different analogy. <laughs> what's, something, what's something really important and major that an individual. Cars. Has house. house. <laughs> <laughs> car house. Uh, yeah. Uh, schools? Well, partner. <laughs> partner. Yeah. yeah. would buy it. Um, well, so just. I'll go just back to the, the the literal. Um so you, you want somebody that you can really trust over time, that will be mutually supportive, um, and is not gonna um run you throw you under the bus if something goes wrong or and we'll just have that stick to itiveness. Mm. So the developers looking for that and the tax credit partners are looking for that. Gotcha. Like for example, we partner a lot with uh, Morgan chase mm-hmm. and we know them and we like them. We partner with lots of folks and then there's one bank as an example where we've got a good thing going right now.
0: That's great. And then like, is it, I always hear it's very hard to develop in the Bay area. Um, you know, there's a lack of housing, lack of affordable housing. Is there, like, this is where you do most of your work. Why, like, what do you, what do you see as the reasoning behind that? And is there a way? To- Why is it
2: hard here? It's hard here. at The same for for. There are things that are hard all across the country, and then there are things that are unique to California and the Bay Area. Um, all across the country, we've uh, we're living now in a barbell economy, and the land is reflecting that. Mm-hmm. So some parts the land is really 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 expensive, and some parts it's less expensive. Um, in construction costs are through the roof. They've been going through the roof for over a decade, but now they're really outrageous. The supply issues, labor shortages, and so on across the country. Um, in, the, in California in particular, there is land, meaning vacant or what we call underutilized. In, you know, the land is worth more than the whatever's on it, um, and So there really is plenty of that. I actually happened to get to do a study about that in when I was at UC Berkeley. So a long time ago, and it's still relevant that there's plenty of land for building 50 units or more. Um, And in particular near transit nodes, Um, it's just really expensive. And then once there, regardless of, it's very rare that you come across a community that's excited about a new project extremely rare. And if it is excited about a new project of any kind, four plexes on up, um, it is because there's been a lot of incredibly good organizing and, and um, community based work and listening that's gone on in advance. Anyway, um, because of that NIMBYism, and the lawsuits that often ensue, it takes a very, very, very long time to come to a compromise and to get a project approved. And then the financing itself is a, a hero, hero, hero's journey in terms of putting together all those different sources that with timelines that match up. So I'm sure that my colleagues would say there are so many other barriers, but th- those, those really are a challenge. And whether the NIMBYism expresses itself in advance with um, with um antiquated zoning laws that uh call for uh, less density um or if it's the active nimbyism that's just raging now um for new projects because they're too tall or gonna cause traffic or whatever it is um that just slows everything down
0: you're finding that a lot in the bay area
2: yeah you can just open any of our local newspapers yeah. any day and there's some new story about it yeah. um yeah i mean it's just a, a crazy thing to me that you know we created something like forty thousand jobs in less than a decade and um we've only built about a, a tenth or so of the units that would go with those and so our supply and demand curve is crazy um but it tells you that there our, our region has grown a lot mm-hmm. in the past twenty some years. And um, well, we so there are a lot of new people. I'm new, relatively new. I moved here in 1980. No, 1994. And folks are looking behind them and saying, well, but we don't want you to live here.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Or we And especially uh, around race and income lines. Oh, we don't want those people. Not those people. Even if one was once at an income level, those people, so to speak, it it's, um, it's, it's quite exclusionary as much as we yeah, um, purport to be uh, a liberal place. We're, we're quite conservative in, in, in how that gets. Yeah, I, kinda, I, I, in found that as,
0: I found that as well. I moved from New York and from the East coast, originally New Jersey. And so, uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked how it seemed very exclusionary. Um, cause you hear all the, how liberal it is in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, Victoria, you went to Berkeley. Did you get your MBA there?
1: Got my MBA at Berkeley, yes. And then,
0: okay. And then Heather, you went, you got your, was it master's in public policy?
2: No, I got a master's in architecture and a master's in city planning.
0: Okay. Did you, do you find like that skill set? What, like what you learned as an architect, what you learned in your master's programs, like help you now? Are you still using a lot of that skill set? They like kind of led, do you see like, the progression of your career and it kind of all led here and it's all coming together as, and it, and it wasn't on purpose.
2: <laughs> um, for sure the both degrees come in and I wish I got more opportunity to actually design physical things. If I had more time in the day, I'd get to, I'd, I'd do, I'd buy buildings and design things and, but I don't. Um, the design thinking of taking a bunch of variables, laying them out, stepping back, thinking through what you're really trying to achieve and um, bringing people in to help solve that, think it through, be creative um, and design solutions. That comes in every single day, um, but not so much that the result is a building, you know, mm. like an architect has. Um, so the design thinking for sure, and I always take that for granted, but sometimes I'm in meetings or in partnerships where I'm like, oh yeah, they're more linear (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh yeah they're much more artistic and freeform and not necessarily goal oriented so i really appreciate that training um and then um uh i drive my team crazy because i'm a very visual thinker so i'm always drawing our solutions and drawing bubbles and Mm -hmm. whiteboarding stuff um so you can there's examples all around um and then with the city planning similarly thinking about the policy implications for the long term and thinking about all the systems that are layered on top and entwined in one another in to get the places we call cities and regions mm-hmm. um, was really really helpful really really helpful but i wasn't i didn't specialize in housing back then yeah so probably could be much smarter at what i do now if i had done that <laughs>
1: and I, I don't know about you either but i also list the network that i got to meet i don't know if do you end up seeing you, your classmates i know you already spoke about one do you see a lot of the people you? With?
2: oh for sure it's just a it's a fantastic you know you know those bubblegum machines <laughs> um <laughs> it's like <laughs> almost every day i'm dealing with either somebody a from the program right put a quarter in and there's another one <laughs> um sometimes
1: it's the flavor yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it the green one oh it's just, um so um yeah all the time pulling on the network and and honestly in in this in in california it's a nice way because there's something when you do run into people, it's not just that the network is there and people have, you can call on people and their thoughts um, and expertise and, and positions, but um, because you, you you've, you've come from a similar cloth, you know that you kind of get it, especially around things like race and equity or long-term thinking. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. The danger is that I also end up hiring a lot of folks from the same program <laughs> and so filling my office with a m- more than half of us are from the same program and oh, that really? can be alienating for others. And so yeah. we're trying to be careful about that.
0: Well, you just there's just so many smart people coming out of the program. How could you resist?
2: Yes, <laughs> I, there are some fantastic people coming out of the program.
0: Did you? um lost my train of thought uh so what skill sets do you use now in your because it'd be like this victoria and i are are our headhunters recruiters whatever the term uh you want to use we work a lot with affordable housing developers and community development and and we're starting to work more nonprofits in the in the real estate space too what uh like what skill set say you were um coming out of school like what skill sets do you use now like there's a, a younger person starting their career like man, what, how do I become, do what she's doing? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what, what sort of skill sets would you recommend that they pick up? Uh,
2: that's a great question. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just made it up.
2: Yeah. Um, high level of executive functioning skills. And if you don't hone in on them, because there's a lot of multitasking and, multiplicity that goes on so holding a lot of balls in the air and holding a vision at the same time um is important learning how to get along with and work with a lot of different kinds of people yeah and i mean yeah. very different kinds of people and making that a priority i i've been learning that the hard way all along um cuz i thought i would just sort of climb the ranks and get to some positional power and theoretically work with a lot of different people but i've learned how to actually work with a lot of people in the course of the past couple of decades and i'm so glad um i wish i learned it earlier um and um, the technical skills like know your stuff know a couple things well and be willing to continually learn new things that you don't know and ask questions and rely on people who do know
0: what are the technical skill sets that people should pick up
2: to be me right now, to be you. Learn finance skills earlier. Because you could do more than I am. And and I have to say that um, I, I never think that I'm doing anything by myself. Any, it, it's our whole team is working in tandem. And I get to work for this big organization that we can pull on. So um, navigating those kind of systems that are so-called internal systems. Is really really important. So I don't have to know all the finance skills, but I really wish that I had learned more and deeper faster.
0: That's awesome. Um, Where do you see enterprise growing over the next couple of years? What do you see happening in the in the affordable housing world? Because I'll just my experience is I I started working with affordable housing developers, and in that world, probably over 10 years ago, I would say. And it was not that many people really knew what it was. I didn't really know a lot about it. Um, and I've been learning over the years and had some good mentors, but you know, all of a sudden a lot of capital has been flowing in that direction in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, like, where do you see, so it's become, I always say it's become like the, the bell of the ball. Everyone wants to dance with affordable housing now, uh, at least the last couple of years, more so than before it seems. Like, do you see it still becoming more, is it becoming more institutional you see it heading that direction still or you think it was kind of like a more of a blip
2: um well before the pandemic there were over 11 million people who were paying over half of their income for housing across the country mm-hmm. so we've had a crisis mounting for years and years now uh, let's say it's the tail end of this pandemic um knock on wood mm-hmm. the um it, the crisis has gotten even worse. We're seeing s- just such exacerbated affordable um, housing shortages that we've got 160, maybe 200,000 people homeless in the state of California now, and we'll have more every month as we go. So there's a, uh-huh. a very clear need that the public is seeing, and now housing is top a top item for elected officials when it hasn't my entire hasn't been my entire career. So, it's popular and visceral. And my sincere hope is that that creates more resources and policy changes um, and understanding of how we got to this place, much like we did with healthcare um, in the a couple decades ago. So, um, when you say it's the bell of the ball, I'm not really sure what you mean.
0: Well, it seemed like a lot of developers all of a sudden institutional capital was flowing that direction more. So like Starwood created their own affordable housing development firm. Blackstone got involved with it. Um, mm-hmm. more shops that, When I remember it being just families were the developers. It was like, Oh, like this family over here owned affordable housing. It was, there wasn't such large shops getting involved in the space.
2: Ah, I see. Um, well, there are big portfolios for sale, there are big properties that are coming out, um, and those organizations, some, mostly private companies, are re- realizing that there's a profit to be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, in many ways, I welcome that, in, in that uh, some of these bigger things can't be done by the um, affordable housing developers that have built the muscle now. Mm. Um, so we need all types. We need small little land trusts and new faith-based organizations getting into the field just as much as we need, um, the medium sized ones that we usually work with at enterprise and the Mm. larger ones to, um, build that muscle across the field to get things done. Yeah. Where did
0: your, where did, I mean, you obviously have a, you know, uh, it seems like many of your choices in your career uh, reflected more than just, you know, getting a paycheck, you know, it's like a bigger picture of giving back to community, um, and making the world a better place. Where did that come from? Did you grow up in a, in a household where that was something that was taught to you or like, not everyone has that feeling with mm-hmm. their job. Like,
2: yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, um, yeah, it was an inclination from a young age. Um, Thanks for asking the question. Let's see, I I grew up in a part of Philadelphia that if you look at the zip code 19118, you'd think it's a lily white place and the health outcomes are pretty darn good. Um, But it was a mixed income place, successfully a mixed income place. And we, my family of four, Um, grew up, we grew up in a, Philadelphia has a lot of row houses. This is not a row house. It's a semi-detached house. So half of the house is connected to another house Mm -hmm. called twin house there. And um, we lived in what would just kind of be called the wrong side of the tracks. So perfectly nice um, and and, and interesting. But I went to school with the kids in the mansions
0: Mm.
2: and the bigger houses. And so I was very aware of class differences. So my antenna were up and not real. I wasn't feeling like I belonged. And I think many people who have that sensation, whoever they are, wherever they came from, whatever color they are, hold that at, um, and it builds empathy. Um, my mother then was in a profession of nutrition and dietitian work um, and worked for a hospital uh, for people who were morbidly obese. And some of them came from parts of Philly um, that were all black and at the time. And so my mother would go to people's homes, her patients' homes on the weekends and take my brother and me with her. And so we would sit on the stoops and get to know the kids there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, often we would take the train and pass through all kinds of neighborhoods and a lot of vacancy. So it became a big question for me very, very early on. Um, Why is it so unfair that some people live with so much and some people live live with so little? And what's up with all these vacant buildings and different living conditions? And um, why do these people live near the industry and these people live near the lovely linear park that goes through all the city and so on? And so I I got that in me before I was 10 and was heightenedly aware of homelessness when Philly was seeing it in the height in the early 80s. Mm. Um, And I was scared in my boots because my dad was afraid of losing his income, kept saying we were going to be out on the streets.
0: Yeah, I heard that a lot too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be out on the streets. We're going to be out on the streets. And so that, to me, as a child, that meant we might be homeless. So ever since then, I've been deep in my bones, not wanting kids to have that sensation of thinking they're going to be truly out on the streets i want that stability for everybody
0: that's great and then did you have an interest in real estate at all growing up or you just kind of fell into that
2: well i was my mom and i love to go um break into construction sites my my grandfather was a civil engineer first in his generation to go to college and um his idea of visiting him in southern california was not let's go to disneyland it was like let's go take a pack sandwich and sit on a bench and watch a construction.
0: Site. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so we did that. That was our idea of fun. And my mom and I was when I was a teenager, we break into um, like housing renovation projects and so uh, I just I liked, I liked that a lot.
0: What's the weather like in San Francisco today?
2: I'm in my office. It appears to be sunny. And, but I don't know what the temperature is because I got here at about eight and it's probably warmed up quite a bit since then. Well, you ready for
0: The Hot Seat? Sure. The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides, you know, everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Your office is going to be burning up. Um,
2: Bring it on.
0: You ready? Do you have a book, book or podcast or both recommendation.
2: Yes. So, um, I love the Ezra Klein show. I love it. <laughs> I was really, I was into Tim Ferriss and, and Brene Brown's, um, unlocking us beforehand, a very different ones. Um, Tim Ferriss is interesting, and, but just got to be a little bit too macho for me. And yeah,
0: I, yeah, I, yeah, me too.
2: Like Okay. <sighs> I felt kind of inadequate all the time so um <laughs> so um ezra klein really thoughtful interesting huge variety um i was just listening to one the other day about um going back to the office with two experts who live somewhere in the midwest and um do a lot of research about it and i got tons of ideas and it's just very thoughtful
0: that's great do you have any are you reading any books
2: yeah, I'm reading about three books, and I never, I have a terrible time finishing them.
0: Any good um, ones? Are they novels?
2: So this is for um, my own
0: personal. I want to, I want to know what books I should be reading.
2: So the I'm trying to remember the author, author, but the one I'm reading um, that I'm actually over the hump of the middle is "In Every Mirror She Is Black," and it's about three different women who are black living in Sweden and oh, their wow. different experiences of being there, um, and that all three of their lives in different ways connect to this one very wealthy white patriarch. Um, And, and so it's interesting to see how um, they, they're each very independent and different and solid um, in their own right, of course. But this guy has way more influence over each of them than at a existential level one should. Any one person should let alone somebody who's a white man in a foreign country so i i've been really loving that
0: huh do you, are you listen are you watching any shows on tv i need a new show i started watching the michael the uh mike tyson show on Hulu. oh yeah
2: i've got that on my list in, on netflix um i just finished borgen b-o-r-g-e-n it's a show about the danish a danish prime minister who's a woman and yeah. um and you know, they have normal politics there where they fight about things and resolve them and then come up with policy. They have about 17 parties in a little country the size of New Jersey, wow. yeah. whereas we've got this huge country and, you know, so polarized and nutty, um, really strange. And so um, I, I like their politics and the, the dialect, though you have to read the subtitles, um, is is witty and, and <laughs> intelligent and cool characters and so love it i need a new one myself i've been bopping around and not satisfied with what i'm finding
0: well, i'm watching She-Hulk. she
2: this hulk she hulk
0: she hulk attorney at law on disney mm. plus and uh i'm watching the mike tyson show which i just watched the first episode yesterday uh-huh. and the new game of thrones one on hbo max
2: oh uh, no i can't do the game of thrones no way very, i've tried it's that very political
0: it's very political there's gruesomeness yeah. though?
2: It's the gruesome. I can't do it. I tried it at night a long time ago, couldn't sleep. Tried it in the daytime on a weekend, couldn't sleep. Hmm. I'm just forget it. All right, can't do it. No problem. I'll watch it. For I'm you. More like, I'll, I'll I'd rather you watch notes. Disney Frozen than watch <laughs> again. i <laughs> Disney Frozen too. That
0: wasn't so
1: good.
0: That was a money grab. I saw it.
1: Uh.
0: Victoria, you wanna ask number, question number two?
1: Yeah, do you have any advice for anyone looking to start out in the field other than get, get to that their finance chops good fast?
2: Yeah, you know, um, if I could do it over again, I would have taken more risk and worked for a nonprofit mm. um, or done something I wasn't familiar with in the beginning. Um, in my field of vision at the time coming out of my little world, though it seemed expanded, expand. I thought I was so expanded, big horizon. It's like, no, I had a little world, which was basically private sector and, and maybe public sector. I didn't know about the nonprofit sector. I didn't know about organizing. I didn't know about any of those things. I just knew I couldn't afford to pay my bills yeah. if I worked for them. And you know what? I ended up paying my bills. It was fine. And um, I could have taken a bigger risk there and, and worked for any number of nonprofits in Philadelphia had I, had I done my my taken more time Mm. to figure it out. Mm. So I'd encourage doing that earlier rather than to see what it's really like and crossing across all the sectors by the time you're 35
0: more risks. Um, Now we are a recruiting firm. So I imagine there's people out there looking for jobs, and listening to this like what do you look for when you hire people? besides i guess you could say the technical skill set but like what do you look for personality wise uh all that stuff like soft skills
2: sure it's getting along with other people and and being willing to compromise knowing when to listen knowing when to step up um willingness to learn um there's we call it in my office ziza which is a word I made up a long time ago, which is just to describe that certain something that's a sparkle in somebody's eyes, which says they're hungry to get something done or to know something or um, there's a passion in something that propels them and that says they care. I have now learned that um, for an organization like Enterprise, where we work across sectors, we have all kinds of partners that I need to be careful to hire people who um, are willing to work with up uh, with and about a lot of different viewpoints, and um, if if people come here with a fist in the air um, and like ready to be rabble rousers within the organization or outside of it, they'll be unhappy. Mm. And so um, I'm looking for people who who um, will will question what we're doing, as well as be a good fit. And somebody who can grow here. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And so this podcast is known as the Impact Real Estate Podcast. So, how does your real estate job have an impact?
2: Well, we're super proud of policies getting passed that we either sponsored or supported. And, you know, we can tell you all the hundreds of thousands of homes that will result from that. Um, uh, But we're, we can, I get to go to groundbreakings now after the pandemic. And um, as much as it's about money and housing units, when meeting the people whose lives are going to be affected, who did not have housing security and are at the opening um, and showing their home or just having a sandwich in the courtyard um, with their children. And knowing that we had a part in that, making sure that they are going to be all right and get on with the rest of their lives without that existential worry that they don't know where they're going to live over time. Um, And their kids can now have a a safe, secure, healthy place where they can do their homework. Um, And grandma can come over and cook. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm jazzed. I mean, my week is made. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, we're doing the right thing.
0: That's great. Do you have a favorite interview question?
2: (laughs) To be asked or ask,
0: ask someone we had on the podcast says she always ends every interview with, tell me your, tell me a joke. Oh, well, so
2: we're about to hire three people and we're redoing some of our questions. And, um, I'm hanging strong onto one of them, which is tell us about your biggest mistake and, how you ended up there and what it took to admit it and fix it. Yeah,
0: well, that's a good one. That's a good one. Tell me, Victoria, about your biggest mistake.
2: <laughs> the
1: longer <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know if people are sweeping it under the rug, or yeah. or are they, you know, how, what in, what they needed to do in order to get the place, get to the place where enlisting other people to help and what what how they how they finesse it.
1: Yeah, and that kind of and, answers there's a lot about how people respond
2: or the way
1: they describe it um, and, like, how they're talking about it versus, like, what their actual mistake was because, yeah.
0: It's also, you have to be confident in yourself to a level to admit mistakes. And, oh, my
2: God. Yeah.
0: Right? I mean, it's if, hard. yeah, you have to be okay enough with yourself to do that. So, yeah. um, somebody who's not okay with themselves and tries to just, you know, hide it. Like, you know, it's um. there's no way to move forward if you just sweep it under the rug.
2: Yeah, but you know what? I, there, look, if we could talk about that for a second, I would never have been hired. <laughs> <laughs> Until the past five years, if, if somebody's asked me that, and I had to answer an authentic way. So I, you have to give people some grace, I yeah. just want to know how they're going to handle it. And if they act all perfect, yeah. and like they never made any mistakes that that would give me pause mm-hmm. well that's the
0: same, same thing with the joke one it's like it's not about telling the joke it's about like okay trying to think think of one and like walk your way through it and fail and sound miserable on it and then like being okay with that and also like if someone says no i can't tell a joke and it's like well how, you know can you think in your feet um
1: yeah i could yeah. nail that one i cannot tell it i would not be able to but
0: you know. would you would walk through one maybe wouldn't you
1: I don't know. I've had many interviews, many, many, and I've am pretty good, and I've never been asked that question. I know
0: I haven't either, <laughs> but I have one now. I have one now, so you want to have a joke because I, I think
1: th- it would just be it's... like, "Why did the chicken cross the road?" And and then I would. That's like, fine. I don't know either. <laughs> like, I don't know the joke.
2: I don't have any joke. If you need anyone to redo your you. interview
0: questions, Victoria, part of her practices is coming in and doing that.
1: Yeah, I do help firms do that, but I yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put the tell the joke one. Chris, Chris
0: would kill it. Chris is probably got a hundred jokes in his pocket. I only got one that I remember. It's just and what's well, up, two peanuts walk down the street? One's assaulted. That's the one I go with.
2: Yeah,
0: it's good, right? It's a Monty Python joke. I mean, I'm sad for
1: this peanut now, but yeah.
0: But he's salt, He's salted, right? He's covered in salt, and he's assaulted.
2: You know what? Maybe a better one would be impersonations. Can you impersonate somebody? Um, I yeah. do that pretty well. What do you got? Yeah. No, no, I do it well. After three glasses of wine, I'm very dangerous. It's really not PC. Well, we'll do
0: a late know. night, late night podcast. Some
2: wine. <laughs> yeah, do...
0: <laughs> well, we'll do a smooth jazz
2: yeah, it opening. Gets bad. <laughs> but it's funny. I know it because everybody's cracking up. You do. Up. I do mostly people that the people are in the the people around me know or refer to other people that
0: Oh not I just have known. people
2: No it's not really famous people it's people that we know. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe
0: one day Victoria and I will be out in Oakland. You'll have three glasses of wine and will start personating. Maybe you'll personate us. Look we'll like we have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs>